out to other people, and there's a way to do that, and so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So the ushers are going to be uh, coming around, they're going to be passing the plates, and there is a card that you can take. If you take that card, it will help you follow along what we're doing here tonight. Amen. Then you can take it with you, put it somewhere. It's colorful. You can put it somewhere uh, that will help you remember what we've discussed here tonight. This is put together and produced by a very, very good friend of mine, Brother B.J. Wilmoth, and we have used this um, various places and so we're going to do that here tonight. So, amen. They'll bring those by. You can grab one of those. We're going to start tonight by reading from Mark chapter 5 and verse number 19. Just a very quick, short passage of scripture. And we'll talk more about that as we get going. Praise God. So they'll bring those to you. Amen. While they're doing that and because they're doing that, I'll just read this and we'll get started here tonight. Mark chapter 5 verse 19 says, How be it, <clears throat> Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. This is the story with a man with an unclean spirit in Mark chapter 5 and he is wanting to follow Jesus. He's wanting to become a disciple. And Jesus tells him, go tell your story. Go home to your friends and tell them the great things that God hath done. Amen. There is an importance to your testimony. And this is the first part of this lesson here tonight. And the lesson is entitled, A Plan to Reach. A Plan to Reach and reach stands for uh, something R E A C and H. <clears throat> so, the first part of this is recite your story. The importance of reciting your story is basically your testimony. And there are several biblical illustrations of people who recited or testified. Mark chapter 5 and verse number 19 that we read to start with Jesus told him, Go tell everybody, your friends, about the great things that God has done in your life. Let me just ask you here real quick. Has God done any great things for you in your life? <laughs> well, if he has, you have a story. You have a story. You have a testimony. Luke picks this story up in chapter 8 and verse number 38 and gives to us a little more detail. Verse 38, now the man out of whom the devils were departed besought him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to thine own house and show how great things God hath done unto thee. And he went his way and published throughout the whole city, the whole city, how great things Jesus had done unto him. And so he was instructed by Jesus to recite or give his testimony to his family. And that's what he did. This is one very powerful passage of Scripture, mainly because we see the depths of which this man who said his name was Legion, for we are many, how God had brought him from so very, very far away. He was afar off in the tombs. No man could chain, fetter him. 
and God steps out and, and does a great work and casts out those evil spirits from him. And see, so he goes and he publishes his testimony, and it is a great, great testimony of the great things that God has done. He was instructed by Jesus to do that. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 41, we get the story of the woman at the well. And in verse number 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. In both of these instances, these are powerful testimonies. They are reciting connections and moments that they have spent with Jesus and there's an impact to that. And this is one of the things that is very important to understand about stories. People like stories. And stories help build relationships. If you get around family gatherings, uh, you'll, you'll have opportunities where people will say, tell the story. And it's a story that might connect to the history, the life, the culture of a family things that are significant. People like stories. It builds relationships. And your story is important. Your story is a true story. Your story is a life-changing story. And your story can have the ability to build faith in the mercy and power of God. Because if God did great things for you, then certainly he can do great things for somebody else. If he brought you, if he brought you out of the proverbial miry clay, then he can bring somebody else out of the miry clay. And that testimony has power. Praise God. It has power and it has strength. Your story will bring understanding to people about God. And so the question then is, why should you tell your story? People want to know your story because as they know your story, it helps them to know who you are. Sometimes it's good to get together with somebody at lunch or at a dinner and just ask them, what is your story? Where do you come from? What's your background? Where were you born? How did you get here? What, what is your story? You have a testimony, and it's valuable to people. You can tell it. You can tell it with passion. You can tell it accurately. And here's something that's very, very important. You can tell your story with anointing. And when you tell that story, you are fulfilling the command of Jesus to be a witness Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Your story and your testimony matters. So it's good, it's very good to organize your story and not to forget the important facts. This is one of the things that you can do. You can sharpen a soul winning tool by just thinking about your story thinking about the facts of it and trying to bring it together. This is important as well. Trying to bring it together in something that you can communicate 
in a narrative that is powerful and anointing that, that doesn't go off on a bunch of rabbit trails, right? If you look at the book of Acts and you look at Paul's testimony, he gives his testimony in three cases, in three places. And every time that he does, it's very succinct. It's got all the information in it, and it's powerful. You should try to do the same thing with your story. C collect the facts and, and bring it together and organize it. Sharpen it. Use it to be a testimony to other people. It will allow you to talk about true salvation and the power of God, and it will help other people come to an understanding and knowledge of what God is able to do. I mentioned Paul in Acts chapter 9 and 22 and 26. He reflected in his witnessing his story. He talks about his background, his education, what God did for him on the road to Damascus, weaved all that together, then proclaimed, I am an apostle to the Gentiles. And it was a recitation of God's goodness and his power. Now, I want to say this because this is very, very important. There were some lessons that the disciples learned from Jesus when he fed the 5,000 with the fish and the bread. There were a couple of things that they learned. First of all, they thought that they only had limited resources and there was no way with what little they had would they ever be able to feed a multitude. And that was something that they failed to recognize because Jesus is able to do a lot with a little. It doesn't matter how limited it may look like, God is able to take what is limited and he's able to utilize it for his glory and his honor. Don't think that your testimony is limited. I don't have a testimony like some other people have a testimony. Every single person in this place can come together with a story that is powerful. Well, I've never been to prison. I don't have, I'm not, I've been addicted to drugs. I, I haven't been often in deep dysfunction. Doesn't matter. God's been able to keep you from some things. So everybody has a story. Everybody has a testimony. You just have to figure out what parts to pull from it when somebody asks you, what is it about you? And you're able to give them an answer. Put together a testimony and don't worry about how limited it may seem. Just say, God, you've done great things in my life. You're going to use the fishes and you're going to use what little I have, the bread, and you're going to do great things with it. So they fail to recognize and fail to offer their limited resources. And the second thing that they learn, they fail to see the power of the presence of Jesus. When you give a testimony, it's not just you giving the testimony. The presence of Jesus is with you. Amen. The power of his anointing is with you. And that makes the difference. If Jesus touched the fish and he multiplied them, then how does he touch our activities? God walks with you. Amen. So don't ever second guess. Don't ever shortchange yourself. But just say, God, I thank you for the testimony that I have. And I'm going to use it to reach my world and reach people around me. Amen. So that's, that's the R. That's, that's the first part of the reach. And every single one of us in this place here should desire to reach to other people. Amen. That's, that's what we're here for. We are to focus 
I understand, listen, I understand as a pastor that sometimes there's internal problems. But I want you to know something. This needs to be very, very clear. If all we're doing is focusing on internal problems, we're missing out on the opportunity of revival outside of where we live and what we do. Amen. We need to be a revival church. We need the Holy Ghost to move in such a way that it takes care of some of the internal problems so that we can activate ourselves to be used in our community. Do I have a witness in this place here tonight? I don't want to get bogged down in the problems so much that I can't see. There's revival that needs to take place. Amen. Clap your hands and thank the Lord together. That, that should be something out in front of us. Praise God. This is one of the reasons why we're doing some things like Project 39. We've got to move forward. We cannot get stuck in a rut. We, we, we constantly got to move forward. So the first part of reaching, our, a plan to reach, a plan to reach, a tool. Give me a tool that I can use. This is one of the easiest tools that you can use, and that is your testimony. Think about it. Think about it this next week. If, if somebody were to ask you about your testimony in five minutes, you can look at, uh, well, Acts chapter number 22, just for the sake of, of looking at it. Look at Acts chapter number 22. This is Paul. Acts chapter 22, Paul's testimony goes from verse number 1 to verse 21. 22 says they gave him audience and lifted up their voices. So Paul, Paul is speaking from verse 1 to 21. And in 21 verses, he, he gives his testimony or his defense. I am a man, which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, city of Cilicia, brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the perfect manner of the law, was zealous toward God, persecuted this way, so on and so forth, met the Lord, gives his testimony, tells what Jesus told him on the road to Damascus, made him a witness, 21 verses. He encapsulates a testimony that is powerful. You should try to encapsulate your testimony in about, if you were to read that, that's probably, I don't know what. That's less than five minutes. In five minutes, could you give a testimony of God's power and goodness? Sometimes our problem is we start going and then we get this story that's, you know, we end up saying stuff. To make a long story short or something like that, because we've, we've gone way, 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 way to, to we've way beyond where we should be going, right? So try to, try to capture it, just like Paul. Amen. Use, use his testimony as an example. Without too many details, getting bogged down in the details, but the fact is God is moving there. And so the first part of trying to reach out, a plan to reach my world and the people around me, is I want to recite my story. Now, the second part of it is eat with them. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, listen to what Jesus was doing that was significant. Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen, and both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. 
Who was Jesus eating with? He was eating with the tax collectors, not a popular group, and he was eating with sinners. So a second part of reaching is not only do I need to hone my testimony, but I need to eat with them. Social interaction with people I'm trying to reach is a very, very important part of life. And some barriers can be broken down when you are sitting and you are eating with someone. It's, it's, uh, it's significant. Jesus did it. In order to influence someone for Jesus, you have to be willing to spend some time with them in all situations. Praise God. Amen. And there are opportunities there are opportunities of people that come into the house of God to reach out and connect with somebody. There are some things that we do to try to benefit and, and create that kind of thing. One of the reasons why we do Be There is for that reason. So Be There, the second Sunday of every month, is an opportunity to invite somebody and say, we're going to have church, we're going to celebrate, we're going to have a meal after People are a little more open to that. You can sit down with them and have conversations with them. And it's a social interaction that breaks down some barriers. Jesus would do this even though the Pharisees wanted to pick apart who he was eating with. It would be good if we took his understanding example. Sometimes it's very, very easy to get with the same people. Brother King talked about making bigger circles. Pull some people into your circle. Amen. It may, it may be okay if it's your family, but pull somebody else into that mix and in a social interaction and setting, you're able to reach food, more accurately meals, bring people together around a table. There's community that is built. It strengthens family bonds. It grows people in love and faith. And Jesus reminded us that eating together and breaking bread is an important part of our social lives and our faith lives, especially when we begin with a blessing and give thanks to God at the outset. So when you're sitting down with somebody in a social interaction like that, and then you pray, you're bringing Jesus into the middle of what you're doing, and there's power in that. Amen. That's why prayer, prayer is so significant. Jesus said where two or three are gathered together, I would be in the midst of them. So when you get together with somebody and you pray, you're bringing the presence of Jesus into the picture. Something happens when we eat together. And it's amazing in the gospel how Jesus eats and invites others to eat. He's eating with sinners. He's talking about eating the blood and body of the Lord. He's eating after the resurrection to prove he rose. In the book of Revelation, he's inviting the church to, to open the door so that he can come in and eat with them. And so this is not something that is unimportant. This is a way that you can reach out to other people. If you look back in the scriptures, this connection goes back to before the Last Supper, before the institution of the communion service, his first miracle was at a wedding feast. He fed 5,000 by multiplying loaves and fishes. So there wasn't enough, and there were 12 baskets left over. He sat down to dinner with sinners and saints 
His disciples recognized him in the breaking of bread. So we can't disregard a great, great opportunity to reach out to somebody and have a meal with them. One, I, I'll tell you an example, and I use myself as an example. And, and I apologize for that because it's not all about me. But I just looked out and I saw Sister Kormasa and Brother Sumo. When they started coming to church, Sister Rena was making some connections with them, and they were starting to come, and they were in their apartment right over here. We went over to their house, and we had Liberian food. Well, that's, that may be a little bit of a risk, right? I don't know what Liberian food is. I have no clue what it is. But I'm going into their home. We're going into their home, and we're going to have a meal. I, I can tell you without a fact that, that that moment in their house had significant impacts in their family and inroads to a connection that was more than just shaking their hand at church and saying, praise God, it's good to see you all. And the food was fantastic. It was great. Sister Carmasa is a great cook, had plantains and all kinds of good stuff. So eating is significant. It breaks barriers. It provides opportunities. When you eat together, this is probably a little foreign in our day because not too many families get together, sit down and eat. But when you sit down and you eat, there is a connection that is there. And when you bring God into the picture and ask for his blessing... God is there. It opens up opportunity for communication and lines of communication to discuss and talk. It opens up the ability to affirm each other and say good things, not, not judging, but an intimate space of sharing where everybody is respected. Typically, when you sit down to eat, it, it's not a, it, it's, it's not a fight and anger and people don't want to sit down and eat under that kind of duress. <laughs> I don't, at least. <laughs> you want to yell and scream and spit food all over? Uh, go ahead. But I, that's typically not the general status of what people are doing when they're sitting down to have a meal. So it's easier to affirm. And then don't just rush off. But what you're doing is you're investing in the people at the table. One of the... One of the one of the greatest impacts, some of you can remember this because you were a young, young person. One of the greatest impacts in youth ministry that, that I've been able to actually put my finger on. Youth ministry is made up of a lot of things. Activities, events, uh, trips, camps, a lot of that stuff. But one of the things that was the most impacting that I enjoyed the most is we had something called Dinner for Ten. We didn't have room in the house, so we had it in the garage. And the young people would come over, and they would make a, some of the young people would make a meal, and we would have a meal. It was, it was the most fun because it gave you opportunity just to ask, what's going on in your world? What classes are you taking? You got any crazy, nutty professors? What, what's, what's your job like? Where, where are you going? What are your interests? It opens up lines of communication, and it's an investment into people when you sit at the table. And then lastly, it, it gives you the ability to nurture. Amen. The first gift to Adam and Eve, the first command and the first blessing of God is to eat. I give you every seed-bearing plant for food. 
Jesus said himself, I am the bread of life. So in order to reach out, what is a practical tool? How can I, I want to be used in the kingdom of God. All right, craft a testimony that is powerful. And then look for opportunities to take somebody and sit down with them and eat with them. We do this in our church, but individually you can do that. On a Sunday, instead of just going with the people that you're comfortable with, either bring somebody with you or find somebody and say, hey, today I want to go to lunch with you. Amen. Number three, ask to a church event. Now, here's what's interesting about this is most of the time we start by asking to a church event. And that's okay. These are not chronological but, but if you have a testimony and then you interact and relate and you build relationship, it, then it becomes easy to ask somebody to come to a church event. We were formed to be together. Isolation creates monsters. Don't isolate yourself. Do not isolate. You are in a, spiritually, you're in a precarious place when you isolate yourself from other people. If, you're, if, if your circle keeps getting smaller and smaller, you got to break out of that fast. That's not good because what's going to happen is you'll end up with a smaller and smaller circle with people who have the same hurts and then you're in a vicious cycle where there is never any healing. Every single one of us get hurt. Every single one of us have to take risks. Don't do that. Use the opportunity, amen, to connect with other people and widen, widen that circle. It's going to be healthy to you. There's moments when individually we should nurture our own spirituality. There's a balance between that nurture of individuality and yet, at the same time, there needs to be active involvement in participation as a member of a group. And so it's one thing for me to get by myself because I want to meditate. I want to be by myself. I know there's extroverts and introverts and how all that works. That's, that's fine. And so some, sometime you're focused on just you. But you need to come together in community. The church was born out of community, not individuality. The Acts chapter 2 church, first century church, had a tight-knit community, and they were unified about being about the Father's business. And so there were no lone rangers. Peter wasn't setting himself up and saying, you know, it's just me and nobody else. Paul wasn't doing that. They were working together. And so the church is born. It is communal at its core. Amen. Why should I ask somebody to a church event? Well, it introduces your friend to the community. Uh, Sunday morning, Sister Rena had a, uh, a nurse that she worked with. And so we were able to meet her. So connecting people with community. Uh, it introduces them to the community of the church. It helps them meet other members of the body. It allows your allies, we should all be allies, to step up in the process of soul winning. It's not just me winning a soul, but when they come to the house of God, it's all of us working together to be an encouragement to win a soul. Then if they come to an altar, then we're all working 
to the same effort to see somebody grow in grace. And so ask someone. It expands your friend's world by introducing them to a new world of friends who ultimately become family when your friend is born again. Some of you are here in this place. The only family that you have is this church. Some of you are here and you're blessed because your family is in the church. That's a blessing. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever underappreciate that. If your family's in the house of God, worshiping God together, you should be so, so grateful and so thankful. Amen. And yet there are some here, they don't have extended family. Their extended family is us. It's you and me. That went over like a flock of dogs. If, 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 if you understand what I'm saying and you feel that way, stand up. If the church is your family, you don't have a whole lot of extended family. Sister Comer, Sister Rochelle, Sister Rena, look, look, look around you here. Don't, don't sit down. Stand up. Brother David Bejarano, you should be standing. You got, you got Brother Emilio, but he brought you. Sister Sylvia, the Rosales family, look around you. These people are here, and the church, we are their extended family. So we should recognize that, right? And be thankful that all these people that are here are part of our family. Amen. Praise God. The more connected people who are connected to a new individual, the greater support for prayer, encouragement, and instruction. I don't see him here tonight, but Manuel's been coming with his fiance, and her mother is in the hospital, and he's been coming. He's got background in apostolic background. The Winklers have made a connection with them. They're, they're coming often. Amen. So look for those. Op those are great opportunities. Those are opportunities that are right here. Uh, and, and really, we're not just talking about right here in the church. We're talking about outside of the church. But there are opportunities right here in the church that if we'll look for them, they're there. They're there. You want me to tell you a funny story? This is a hilarious story. This is a hilarious story. Ronnie is not here. Ronnie is an African-American gentleman. He's been coming. He has been coming, and he um, has had an accident. He's been in the hospital uh, what was, really, what was really neat is the last be there, Ronnie was helping Brother David put all the chairs up. And so he's, he's trying to connect. And, and what he says, Sister Rena, is he's felt so much love from, the, from this church. And so I told Brother Casey, I said, watch him. If he starts to take off, it'd be there. Go chase him down. And sure enough, he was heading out. So Brother Casey took off, ran out there and said, Brother Ronnie, you can't leave. We're, we're getting ready to eat. <laughs> he said, well, I don't know. He said, pastor told me, you can't leave. You got to eat here. And so he came back in and sat down and had a great conversation. And eating, eating broke down some barriers that gave us the opportunity to say, Ronnie, don't feel insecure. Man, we, we're so thankful and grateful that you're here. We want you here. Right? Here's what's amazing. See, I, God works in crazy ways. I mean crazy ways. Ronnie was at the gym, 
and he's working out, and somebody invited him to church. Some, somebody asked. The A, right? Asked. And so he came, as I pulled up, he was coming in the front door. The front door was locked. He was getting ready to go walk around the building. I said, here, I'll let you in. And so I let him in. I said, nice to meet you. I mean, he's walking it off the street. I said, how did you, how did you get here? Oh, he said, I was at the gym, and, and somebody invited me. Ronnie swears up and down that the person that invited him at the gym was Brother Casey. The problem is, Brother Casey says, I've never seen the guy. So when you ask Ronnie, Ronnie, how did you come to church? Oh, I was at the gym, and uh, Brother Casey, his name is CJ, he invited me to church. Now, I don't know, I, that seems a little weird to me. But here's, here's, I've got enough faith to believe this. When you do what you know you're supposed to do, sometimes God works in mysterious ways. And so I don't know if that was an angel that looked like Brother C.J. Casey or not, but he is adamant that he came here because somebody at the gym invited him, and it was Brother C.J. Casey. And Brother C.J. Casey is saying, ah! what's going on here, but I'm just going to let him believe that it's, it was me. The more people you, you bring into that, that realm of influence, the more support and encouragement and instruction can take place, right? And then the more they come and then they start feeling connected, then the more opportunity they can lean on the church. These are, these are practical ways. R, recite. E, eat. A, ask. Ask to a church event. Number four, C, cry to God for them. Cry is pray. Luke chapter 22, verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. How can we reach people around us? We can pray for them. It is an absolute prerequisite for evangelizing. Through daily prayer. Cry is a word that is connected to prayer. Psalm 5 and verse 2. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for unto thee will I pray. So I'm praying. I'm praying for situations. I'm praying for people. I'm praying. Not only am I giving my testimony. Not only am I looking for opportunities to sit down and have a meal with them. Not only am I asking them to come to church events, but I'm praying. And, and, and the illustration of, of Ronnie is we need to pray that God, you, you lead me to somebody, and then if the person that you lead me to rejects it, then over here, let there be an indrawing into the house of God that comes from a situation where 
nobody knows how they ended up here. They just ended up here because somebody was praying and wanting and seeking revival. There have been people that have walked in off the street. Amen. John DeArmond, his whole family was driving by, pulled in. Wasn't even church, but Laren Kaufman happened to be in the kitchen cooking. And because of that connection, God did great things. Prayer. And so there's some seasons of prayer in this idea of trying to reach out. What are they? It's the pre-planting prayer. Prayer for opportunities to plant. Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And so the first season of prayer is just praying God Give me opportunities. Lead me to possibilities. We can get so caught up in our schedule sometimes that we just blow right by things. And we need to ask God to give us patience and look for opportunities. So there is a prayer of pre-planting. There is a, a prayer of planting and a growing prayer. Praying for people you know and yourself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. This is in the NIV translation. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. So prayer is, is something that there are seasons of it. God, I'm praying. Amen. Sometimes when I'm in this uh, sanctuary, I'm praying for people that are not actually even on the pews yet. And that's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm praying right here, right there, right there. Next to Sister Emma Frost, there's an empty spot right there. And God has somebody for that spot. And so pre-prayer is saying, God, lead me to that individual. And then the second phase is a planting or a growing prayer. And then lastly, there is a harvest. And harvest means practicing the presence of Christ as a gathering, a gathering in. So I want to see people as Jesus sees them. And sometimes that means me taking risks. We've taken, <laughs> we've taken a lot of risks, man. We, we've tried. I mean, we've, we've learned a lot of things. You can, what, what have we learned? We've learned that sometimes you can give too much, and that's not a good thing. So you have to be very careful with how you give. This is one of the things that was very interesting about the Dennis family. Is because when we went to give to them, their response was, was very hesitant. And, and so there's, there was a cultural thing there that we didn't understand. And we found out that, that if you give me something in my culture, then that means that you're going to want to ask something in return. And so I don't want anything from you because I don't, I don't want to have to give back to you. I don't want to be accountable to that. And that's, that's an African culture. But there are some that you can give, 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 and, and 
It's not a good thing. It's not, it's not a blessing to them. You end up enabling them. And so it's a, it's a very delicate thing of, of how much to give and, and, and too soon and, and, and not enough. And, so, and we've tried all that. Oh, it take, it's risk. It's a risk. It's a risk. But it's a good risk because when you do what you know to do and you take a risk and it falls flat on its face, know this. God's going to do something over here because it's not going to return void. If you get jaded, then you stop taking the risk. If you get jaded, you say, oh, that's just the way people are. They don't want God. They don't want truth. That may be true for them, but God's doing something over here, and you can't see what God's doing. So you have to keep doing what you know to do and and don't get disappointed and frustrated. Amen. We can't get disappointed and frustrated. We just got to keep going on. So we've helped people with vehicles. We put people in apartments, and then they turned on us. I mean, they turned on us and stabbed us in a bat in the back, and then and then left. And then guess what? We were kind enough to let them come back. Can you believe that? That's insanity. Well, not really. It's called doing the work of God, doing the work of taking a risk, taking a risk. And so, man, we've failed miserably in some cases, but there are people here in this place that we took a risk on, and because we took a risk on them, they're doing great things in the kingdom of God, and they're taking a risk and reaching out to other people. That's what it's all about. That's making disciples. That's growing people. So the harvest, we have to take risks. Sometimes you have to see beneath the crust. Never assume that a person will not be open to God. Because sometimes the least likely looking people have been the most open to what God is doing. And so you can't assume based on how someone appears. There was a couple here, Sister Stephanie, they were here sitting on your row right there. It was the... uh, it was the family that's been coming, the short little lady. And if you were just to look at them, uh, they, they, they may look kind of hard and rough. But inside of that is a sensitive heart. They were here on Sunday morning. Why? Because God's doing something in their world and in their life. Don't judge a book by its cover. Amen. Just, just, just open your arms as if it is no big deal because there may be somebody that is really, really seeking for a move of God in their life. We can't assume that people are as they appear. Every person has needs, and most of us have experienced some form of rejection, and those people may be looking to see if they're going to get rejected again, and that's where the church steps in and says, no, we believe that everybody has the ability to pull themselves up to the table of what God is richly doing. Amen. Amen. It it gets kind of fun. It gets kind of fun when you go up to them and you just, uh, you greet them and sometimes they, they they don't quite know how to respond. Loving people where they are. A lot of people are going to bring baggage with them. We can't compromise our Christian standards. And yet at the same time, we can reach out and minister to them without being identical to them. 
loving people where they are. Every once in a while, somebody say, you know, I, I know I need to come to church, but I've just got some things I'm working on. And, and that's a big mistake because you'll never get it figured out. How are you going to get it figured out without God? You're in the, the situation that you're in because you're trying to figure it all out and you can't do it. So you're never going to get to God if you're, if you're waiting on yourself to get it all figured out. Just bring all your stuff to God and watch God work with all the stuff in your world and he'll change and transform things. And then love people as you love yourself because we don't always have it together either. Amen. So <clears throat> recite your story, eat with them, ask to a church event, Pray to God for them. Cry to them. And then lastly, help them. Help them. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? There are several ways that we can help people. We can be a witness and help people by declaring God's truth. There's a declaration. So that's part of the testimony. It's part of the proclamation. We say at Greater Bakersfield's First Pentecostal Church that we follow, proclaim, and celebrate. Believing that celebration is typically where people kind of enter into our vortex. And then once they enter into the celebration, we encourage them to follow Jesus. And then we encourage them at some point to proclaim. And proclamation is declaring God's truth. So that's one way to witness. Displaying God's love or exemplifying is another way. So the way that we live our lifestyle, not only what we say, but what we do. If people come in here and we're spouting off about we're love and brotherly love and unity, and they come in here and we're exemplifying disunity, fracturing, schisms, and all that kind of stuff, we've just eliminated our ability to be effective in what we're saying with our message because we're not exemplifying it. And so some things, can, you, can, you can have an impact, not, not based on what you say, but based on what you do. My grandfather was an individual that didn't say a whole lot. He didn't say much. He was not touchy-feely. He was, you know, like the greatest generation's man's man. He didn't get into deep conversations. Uh, he, he wouldn't even say, <clears throat> he had a hard time saying, I love you. He would say it, but it would be in his way. You would say, Grandpa, I love you, and he would say, you too. You too, son. You too. That was his way of saying, I love you. But he exemplified in his life a lot of things he never had to say. And so our testimony is both what we say and what we do. And then we also demonstrate God's power. So we share it and then we demonstrate it. Jesus not only preached to the sick, but he healed them. He not only proclaimed to those that needed to be delivered, but he also delivered them. And so how can we do that? How can we do the same thing where it's not just something that we're saying or displaying, but how do we demonstrate God's power and his ability? We can do that by helping them. Amen. James chapter 2, verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? 
If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto him, Depart in peace, be ye warm and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So it's one thing, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this, really. It's one thing to say, man, I am so sorry. I will pray for you. I think that's, that's supportive. But if we're not careful, we could also allow that to be a cop-out. Because just praying but not really doing anything is less of a promise. And so James is saying, there needs to be some action that is also connected to what we say. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that, you may, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And there's verse after verse in which we are told to get active in sharing and helping people in their situations. Food, clothing babysitting, lawn mowing, automobile repairs, friendship, spending time with a child of a single mother. Brother King preached Sunday and how powerful that was to hear that there were men in the church that took him in and spent some time just sharing, being an example. So this is the helping them. Homework of a student, a resume, a job application, home repairs. This is helping people. Amen. So I can recite my story. I can sit down and eat with them. I can ask them to a church event. I can pray for them. And I can help them. These are active ways in which we can be involved in the work of God and reach out to other individuals. In conclusion here uh, tonight, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. The terror of the Lord is a profound respect or standing in awe of how great God is. When God does great things in your life, it's very, very easy to tell somebody else about the great things that he has done. If God hasn't done anything for you, it's probably real hard to say anything good about it. But if God has done great things, amen, you will become a witness because you recognize God has done such wonderful things in my life. How can I keep it to myself? I want to tell somebody else of God's mercy, of the peace of God that passes understanding, a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Amen. Pray for opportunities. Amen. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray for opportunities. Understand that God is with you. And remember to act on these things. These are very practical things to help us reach our community. Amen. Sometimes people say, well, I wish I had the tools. Here's a great tool. Here's a great tool. Activate these things in your life. Amen. And watch God do great things. Amen. And I challenge you. I challenge you. Not only am I looking for opportunities outside of, of the church, 
But man, so many times there's opportunities right in front of me. That person that's been coming to the point where you say, man, they've been coming a lot. Who are they? Connect with them. Find out who they are. Use this right here. Pray for them. Amen. Find out what their names are. Praise God. It is so, so easy to get caught up in a bubble of our own world. Listen, Jesus has blessed us and given to us many, many great things. But let's not get trapped into only seeing things insulated in our own little world. If, if you get to the point where you're, you're going to want to complain about stuff and you've got a long laundry list of all the things that you don't like, you need to find somebody to disciple. You need to teach a Bible study, right? Because you're stuck in a rut. You're stuck in a rut and, and, and you're spiritually not where you need to be. You need to get involved in the discipleship of somebody else because when you get in that world, you realize how blessed you are and you realize how God can do miraculous things and all of a sudden God starts opening a world that makes all those little things that have become so magnanimous in your mind, they are insignificant. They are insignificant to what God wants to do. Amen. Praise God. Well, I just don't know what to do. I'm bored. I'm looking for my men. Teach a Bible study. Take somebody to lunch and talk to them about their issues. Stay connected to them. Share some things. Help them. Man, there is so much that can be done in the kingdom of God. We just have to step up and be inspired and influenced to do it. Praise God. So we're going to stand here tonight and we're going to pray that God helps us reach our community. There are people that are trying to do it with Project 39. There are people in this church that are doing Bible studies. They're doing discipleship classes. They're trying to keep track of people and all of that. Amen. Let's all work together in the kingdom of God and see God do great things. Lord, we thank you and praise you and worship you. Use every single one of us. Amen. For your glory and honor. I pray that you would help us to reach out to individuals coming to the house of God, whether they are invited or not invited. Maybe you invited them into the house of God. And how significant that would be if you brought them to the house of God and we failed to make sure that we picked them up and supported them and prayed for them and reached out to them. I thank you and praise you. You're a God that is still in the business of doing signs, miracles, and wonders because certainly in this place here today, there are people that are representative of that. And we ask that you would continue to do it. Help us connect with people that come into our school, into our daycare, on this piece of property, that connect with us outside of church. We thank you and we praise you and we know that nothing is impossible with God. With humanity and with men, things are an impossibility. But you're a God that makes things possible. And so we honor you and praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to meet and greet, turn around, meet somebody, greet them, and tell them it's good to see them in the house of the Lord tonight. God bless you. Have a great, great week this week. We'll see you throughout the week and then on Sunday.